It's time to talk Sixers. Simmons off balance and an incredible bank shot is good. Here on the broadcast, the official podcast of Sixers.com. Embiid drives down the lane. He goes in and slams it. Oh, man, what a play by Embiid. Now, here's today's episode. Time for another fresh Friday edition of the broadcast. Thanks so much for checking it out. I'm Brian Seltzer from Sixers.com. A couple things to get to on this episode of the pod. The 76ers are back at home briefly. They have one stop at the center on Friday. It is City Edition uniform debut night against the Miami Heat before they wrap up a back-to-back on Saturday on the road, a key game against the Indiana Pacers. Both these games really important against Eastern Conference teams ahead of the 76ers in the standings. We'll talk with Amin Hassan of ESPN about the state of the Sixers. We're also going to hear from Katie O'Reilly. She is the chief marketing officer from the Sixers, and she'll give us the scoop on how the Sixers' City Edition uniform all came to be as far as designs, all that good stuff. So all that is on the way on the podcast. First, reminders to get you to our feed. You can do a couple of things. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, type in Sixers Podcast Network, and you can also check out our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. Sixers had a four-game road trip, took them all over the place. They went 1-3, and three, started off with that great win against the Spurs, and then three tough losses. You know, you go down to Oklahoma City, a cauldron at Chesapeake Energy Arena. Uh, the second night of a back-to-back after that, all the way up in Milwaukee without Joel Embiid. That presents its challenges. And uh, then a game on Wednesday against the Brooklyn Nets that just did not go the Sixers' way. Brooklyn has got some talent. It's athletic, plays with pace, made its shots and knocked off the Sixers by eight. We now bring on from ESPN. You see him on The Jump, Sports Nation. He is a frequent regular on the, is that a redundancy there? A frequent regular? Probably. He is a regular on the Hoop Collective podcast from ESPN. He is Amin Alhassan. Amin, thanks so much for joining the podcast. We're going to get to the Sixers more in depth in just a couple moments, but kind of wanted to start by asking you just how much has changed in your mind in the Eastern Conference this past week. You know, you got the Sixers hanging around, and between some teams above them and below them, there was one blockbuster trade and also some really key injuries. Ooh, how much has the Eastern Conference changed just this past week? Uh, oh, let me think about that. So, so I mean, so uh, obviously the Blake Griffin deal is 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 big uh, for Detroit. The problem is they gave up a lot of their depth in that deal, and so there's a question. I mean, it's nice to have Blake Griffin, and I think he'll be great for Andre Drummond. But um, in terms of what that does for the Detroit Pistons this year, I have a question of how much it it can make them better. Not because Blake's not that good, but just because they got to got to fill out a roster. They got to fill out a bunch of a bunch of spots and people uh, that, no offense, I don't know if Willie Reed is, is the answer there, you know, <laughs> as far as uh, eating up those minutes uh, that, that they lost. Because when you talk about a guy like uh, Tobias Harris, you have to recognize his ability to play multiple positions is important. Avery Bradley, his ability to play multiple positions is important. And the guy that the Pistons got back, not really a, a versatile group in terms of playing multiple positions. Again, that Blake Griffin is a great player, you know, when he's healthy. 
but he's not a guy that could slide down to the three, for instance. Um, so there's that. Um, Kevin Love's injury in Cleveland, again, I would say uh, I almost think it's a blessing in disguise for the Cavs. Um, with, with Love out, first of all, the minutes that are going to be eaten up by the, uh, the, his minutes are going to be eaten up by guys who are better defensive players. So that should help steady a Cavs defense that's been atrocious. They've been either last or second to last in the league, or you know, um, overall, uh, pretty much for about a month now. And so uh, by losing him, you're forced to play other guys who are better defensively, obviously not as good as offensively. Um, but that should allow them to fix all the defensive issues. They're not, you know, uh, it also allows them to kind of focus on some of these other problems that they're having in their locker room, getting that in order. It's almost like you isolate Kevin Love's issues away so that by the time he's ready to come back, hopefully you'll have spent the time focusing on all the other things that ailed them. And now when he comes back, he's coming back to a much more harmonious place, come back to a place where um, they figured out all their other issues. And so it's a lot easier for him to kind of fit into whatever's going on there. Um, And then what else? We've got Marcus Smart getting hurt. You know, Celtics are just a – take a lick in and keep on ticking too. So I, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know if anything has changed at all in the East in terms of standings, in terms of who's going to get in, who's going to get out. I think we're pretty status quo. So, yeah, so I guess the impetus for asking that is from the Sixers' perspective, people around here in these parts, it's like, you know, they're actually – they have something to follow in the standings in the top eight for the first time in about half a decade. And it's like you see a team like the Pistons make that move, and they're, as of the time we're taping this, a game and a half behind the Sixers. And for a team like Washington that loses John Wall potentially oh, for an extended period of time, you know, they're about three games ahead of the Sixers. So with those teams, do you feel like any of this could – alter how things shake out potentially for where the Sixers are lying right now, maybe more so in like the bottom half of where things are looking in the playoff picture in the East? Yeah, I forgot about John Wall. My fault. <laughs> well, there was That's a lot this bad. past week. There was a lot this past week. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I think the wall injury is, is, is obviously massive for Washington because he is the, the straw that stirs the drink, the motor, whatever you want to call it. He is basically the their reason of being um, even as good as they are, and and without that, I, it'll be interesting to see. You know, I know they won two in a row without him, but over time, I wonder if that's going to be able to to kind of extend. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, Philly is in pretty much the same spot in terms of the people around them. Uh, they're going; it's going to be a fight, regardless uh, to get in there, especially considering. If you look at – so, okay, I'm, I'm, I've got the standings pulled up right now. You've got Indiana, Milwaukee, Philly, Detroit. And I'm not going to count the Knicks because they're just the Knicks. Are gonna <laughs> but of those four teams, it's very easy to see which one is the least experienced. And, and, that's, the, and that's what the Sixers are fighting. Because talent-wise, I would put them above all of those teams. But the problem is the idea of – experience of have I played meaningful basketball before and if so how much of it did I did I play and you look at the Sixers rosters a lot of guys their first time you know saying uh hey this ain't my first time at the rodeo this is their first time at the rodeo and and unfortunately what ends up happening a lot of times in these situations is 
uh, A, you find yourself in a place where you need stuff to happen as opposed to controlling your own destiny. And B, when it comes to needing those things to happen, you fail. And, uh, so a team I think of a lot is the Utah Jazz with Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert of, of years past, um, where up until like two years ago, they were that team. Like, oh, this is a team that's good enough to make the playoffs. And then, you know, the most famous one was, I can't remember, three years ago when the Rockets were really bad. 2016, yeah. When the Rockets were really bad, but they needed like a miracle to win at Utah, and then they needed Sacramento to lose to someone. So it was this weird set of circumstances the Rockets needed to get into the playoffs. And the Jazz, all they had to do was beat Houston at home. They, they were at home, and so like, all they had to do was beat the Rockets, and you're in the playoffs. And they fudged that game up. And you say, oh, how could they do that? They're talented. The Rockets really were injury depleted and all this stuff. How could that happen? It's so easy. It's the first time at the rodeo. And so you're counting on them to be able to make decisions in very clutch, crunch situations. And for a team that's never been there, or, or the, a team made up of guys who the majority of minutes are being played by people who've never been there before, it's easy to fill in those moments. So that's what Philly is fighting. Philly's fighting its own inexperience. I don't think Philly's fighting, oh, my God, Detroit got Blake Griffin. Like, that's not going to be the difference between – the Sixers making it and missing it. The difference is going to be the Sixers' own inexperience, and can they overcome that through their sheer talent? And the best way to overcome that is to win enough games now where last week of the season, the last month of the season, it's not as close to where you have to, you have to make the right decision. It's almost like that's what we're seeing right now in this past week for the Sixers, if you just isolated that. Wednesday night, tough loss on the road uh, in Brooklyn. They lost without Joel Embiid at Milwaukee on Monday. They were at OKC in a really entertaining game, but, you know, that's a tough place to go play. And it's like it's one thing um, you would think if you have youth and you don't win, which maybe was the case for the Sixers in the past, but then it's almost like that consistency or inconsistency factor that emerges when you're trying to figure it out and running your team through two guys who have played a combined total of just right around 100 games. Right, and, 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 so, and so that's a great illustration. You look at that loss at OKC, overtime loss, on the road, tough place to play, very good team that's, that's hitting their stride in their own right. That's one as a as a six. Mm, we should have had that one, but you can you can feel good. You can feel like, all right, man, we're here. We're just as good as the best teams in the league. You can't go to Brooklyn and give up a hundred million points. That, that's the that's what I'm talking about. The, those are the let the mental letdowns that can't happen. I mean, even the Milwaukee loss again. Milwaukee hasn't been world beaters, but they're playing better since their coaching shift. And they're uh, and you know your best player didn't play, and you know they've got guys were young but also have been there before, Giannis and Chris Middleton and, and even, uh, you know, Eric Bledsoe. These are guys who have been around the block. This isn't their first rodeo. So uh, it's, it's, it's not ideal, obviously, given the proximity and the standings, but it, it, it's understandable. But when you talk about losing at Brooklyn to a Nets team, it's, I mean, they play hard, but there's, no, there's nothing talent-wise that's, oh, my God. We we couldn't we just couldn't couldn't keep them in the ball through. That's embarrassing. That that's one of the ones where you look back and you say to yourself, at the end of the year when there are those those clutch situations and you come up short, it's not so much oh man we lost to to okay see her twice or whatever. It's man I can't believe we we, we dropped that game in Brooklyn because those are the ones that make up the margins at the end of the year. Chatting with Amin El Hassan of ESPN. 
Let's get into, I mean, some of the pillars that the 76ers are building around at this point in time. You were at the game at Staples Center in Los Angeles. You were witness to 46, 15, 7 and 7. And oh, by the way, Ben Simmons didn't have a bad night in that game either. What was your impression of just seeing that all come together in that game in particular as far as what it could mean long term for the team? Well, it, it, it's it's weird in that, you know, Embiid was a guy that when I saw him in at Kansas um, and saw the progression, I said, this guy is gifted. He's, he's touched by the hand of God. In terms of this is a guy who played basketball at that point in his life had played organized basketball for three years. And to see him progress from game to game, and to add things and do things with the fluidity of someone who's been doing this all their life, execute post moves or footwork that I've watched 10 year NBA vets go through and drills over and over again in practice and uh, on, a, on, you know, before a game. And then they get in the game and they either can't do it or make it look very predetermined and robotic. And he's out here doing it like, Oh, this little thing. Okay. I'll, I'll do it. And picked it up like he's a natural. So, on draft day in 2014, although he was hurt, I said Philly did a great job. But this this guy's gonna got a chance to be the best player in the draft. Um, injuries notwithstanding. So fast forward to watching that game. Obviously, it's a sight to behold to see him score in every which way, every manner. But at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, that's what I kind of figured that this is this is who he is. Ben Simmons to me was one that I, I even though I thought he was consensus number one, I also felt like, oh, I don't know how this could go. I could see how. Um, the lack of a jump shot could be an issue. I can see how, um, you know, if, if you know, they're going to try and play him at point guard full time, can he guard point, you know, can he guard smaller players? And so watching his game was to me a lot more impressive, mainly because it was kind of more of uh, a confirmation of, oh, wait, all the talent, all of the high notes that they talked about are real. Now, obviously, the, the lack of a jump shot is less concerning than the lack of free throw shooting for, for Ben um, because it's pretty obvious that in the game, he becomes very reticent. And I don't think that's because he doesn't think he can make a play. I think it's because he's worried about getting fouled into the free throw line and, and booking a couple. And it's almost like you have to break him from that fear of going to the line before you can even break him from the, from the, from bad free throw shooting, right? He's got to be like Shaq where I'm going to play. I know I, I don't hit my free throws, but guess what? Everyone's going to foul out trying to guard me. Um, and, and I, you know, obviously he's a young player, so he's got plenty of time for that. Something that Brett Brown seems to talk about a lot as far as Simmons this year is that even more than any skills that he's shown on the court, just his overall demeanor is what's stood out the most. Have you seen kind of like a acting like you've been there before vibe from Simmons that isn't always common for a first-year player in the league? Um, anything like that and maybe where that – comes from do you have a theory on that um I, well i mean first of all you got to factor in he comes from an athletic family you know pro sports background there, there's that part of it the other part of it is and and this isn't i mean I, I feel like people gloss over this a lot the concept of the red shirt rookie in the nba is a huge deal yes part of being a rookie in the nba the hard part of it is everything's so much faster oh my god i'm playing against these people the first time uh, you know, it's it's that action, sure. It's different. It's a big jump from whatever level of basketball you played before. But the part that no one talks about is 
getting used to the NBA lifestyle, meaning travel and packing for 10 day trips and being on the and be on the road and, and remember where your hotel room is and getting used to watching film, watching film like a pro, not watching, just watching the game like a, like a fan. And, and uh, you know, basically basketball being your life as opposed to part of your life where it was before you got here. So there's a huge adjustment process for the rookie NBA player in terms of just learning to be an adult, really, an adult in the NBA world, that they also carry this burden on, oh, by the way, I also have to play 25 minutes or 30 minutes tonight. That's tough. So when, you, when you're a redshirt rookie like so many of the Sixers have been, you kind of get a year to figure all that other stuff out, right? And then when you now you're playing, all you got to do is worry about the game because you know what time practice is because you know you like uh, to get your uh, lift on before practice or after practice because you know you go to the cold tub because you know all the things that NBA vets know about how to take care of their body, how to schedule their day, how to deal with new family members, quote unquote. Like you've done all that for a year. Yeah. And now all you got to do is worry about basketball. And so that's a huge advantage he has. But obviously he's got another advantage and that he comes from an athletic background. So, none, so part of this isn't new. He's, he's seen it. He, you know, he's aware of it. And also the other part of it is, yeah, when you're really, really talented like that, at size, right, it's, it's one thing to be really talented. It's another thing to be really talented and be 6'10". Uh, things tend to come a lot easier for those guys than they do for the mere mortal rookie. No doubt. It's so true about just adjusting to the rhythm of the uh, of the season. Um, Joel Embiid, no doubt about it, all-star, starter in your mind? Yes. I, I was one of the media panel voters, and that that one for me was – there was no question. It, it, the, to me, Joel Embiid, it, again, the story of his career to me will always be about how healthy he is. But as far as playing basketball – you look at any metric, any plus-minus metric, um, advanced, uh, uh, real plus-minus, whatever you, whatever way you want to look at how the Sixers perform when Embiid is on the floor and how they perform when he is off, whether it's because he sat down on the bench to get a breather or whether it's a game he missed completely. And then it's so obvious that this guy takes – if you take Embiid off this team, you'd say, oh, no, but you still got Simmons and you still – you know, uh, Dario Sarge is pretty good, and, and hey, DJ McConnell's really coming to his own. And, you know, I'm not saying it's a world-beating team, but it's like it's a, it's a decent collection of talent. You'd be, you'd be in, in a world where Embiid didn't exist, you look at the Sixers with still a, a similar, not obviously the same kind of optimism, but a level of optimism. Like, oh, it's a good young team. When Embiid is playing, they're one of the best teams in the conference. It is that stark. His impact on both sides of the floor, how he changes everything, is is has been tremendous this year. And and to me again, like it it is fulfilling something that I think should have never been in question. The only thing in question with him is can he stay healthy? And that's why when he's frustrated, he can't play back to back. That's not like, I mean, you know, it, it, I know you got to hear trash talk from Andre Drummond and people like that. But at the end of the day. I think the Sixers organization is doing the right thing of making sure you don't burn this dude out physically because his talent is, is to the roof. Another all-star related question. Where does Ben Simmons fit into all that? Obviously in Philadelphia, there's a lot of partial opinions. How do you see it? Here's what I'll say. I, I'll say that if he made it, I wouldn't be 
I wouldn't be outraged, but I think, uh, you know, part of being an all-star is not just being good, is also is your team good. And I think it's kind of crazy. I mean, let me put it this way. I think it's kind of crazy that the Wizards sent two all-stars. I thought that was kind of silly. That you, you don't get to have two guys who at that point had played most of the season and be that bad. And so for me, uh, the idea that the Miami Heat are as good as they are and they're not sending Goran Rogic to the All-Star game, I thought that was, that was kind of kind of a little rough. And, and, and by the way, just to be fair, also in the Western Conference, the idea that the, that the Clippers are even in a, in a playoff conversation having all the injuries and all the problems that, that have hit their team, I thought that was a, a strong endorsement that Lou Williams should be an All-Star. So uh, I guess in a, in a roundabout way we come to this place where, okay, who should be the replacement? Now for uh, I guess it's wall wall missing, or the wall of love that we're replacing. I don't even know. Well, yeah, I think we're <laughs> at love. Yeah, I think we're at love now. Yes. <laughs> right, but uh, but either way, I to me, I would think that one of those two guys. I know it's, it's kind of weird, like to replace it by conference or not. I guess it's by conference. I would I would lean towards Gordon Dragic because he's played well and his team is successful. And by the way, it's a team that not many people thought was going to be successful. And so the idea that two teams below them in the standings will have sent two all-stars and they can't even get one in the game, I thought that's a little that, that's a little rough to take. But again, Ben Simmons, just as a talent, obviously I don't think anyone would argue that he has many all-star games in his future. Last question before wrapping this up. If we turn to the old round ball, crystal ball, what do you think we're going to be saying about Markel Fultz a year from now? Oof. Wow, that's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one because it's not like, hey, Markel Fultz tore his ACL. What are we going to be saying about him next year? And I'd be like, he'll be fine. Um, what he's got is, I'm sure you guys have talked about it a million times over, but it's more important than anything else. It's an injury not common to basketball. It's an injury that uh, we've seen in other sports. And even then, it's rare there. But we don't, we definitely don't see it in basketball a whole lot. Um I don't know. I, I, I would say, let me, let me, I can tell you, let's say this. If he recovers from this um, and, and can play like what we saw in summer league, then I think he'll be a, a huge addition to this team in terms of a versatile guard who can play make, who can shoot, and really fits in with all the other kind of positionless guys that they have on that team. I also think this, there are going to be, you know, if he, again, if he can bounce back to where he was uh, last summer, as far as uh, confidence and style of play and all that. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, oh, see, I knew the Sixers messed up. He's not even that good because they don't realize the role he's going to be asked to play on this team is, let's be honest, a subservient one because this is Joel Embiid's team. And if Joel ain't around, it's Ben Simmons' team. And Marco Fultz, for every, however talented he is, uh, this team goes a lot further with those two guys leading the charge than they do if Marco Fultz does. Now, does that make him worse than Jason Tatum or some of the other guys? No, it's just no one in this draft class is as good as those two guys in Embiid and Simmons. So anyone who would have been drafted by Philly would have to go through this uh, through this this process, pretty much. All good stuff from Amin Al Hassan. You see him all over ESPN. You can watch him on the Jump Sports Nation. Listen to him on the Hoop Collective podcast as well. I mean, man, thanks so much for a few minutes. No problem. Thanks for having me.
ESPN, of course, carrying Friday night's nationally televised game at the center between the 76ers and the Miami Heat. You know what's going to be pretty neat about Friday's game? Sixers rolling out those parchment paper color-influenced Nike City Edition uniforms. And to talk some more about that, we're going to speak with a person from the 76ers front office who was very involved in helping shape, design, and bring the whole vibe of the uniform together. Katie O'Reilly, 76ers Chief Marketing Officer, is coming up next. But first, a couple words about the Sixers and Club 76. It is the official membership and season ticket waiting list of the Philadelphia 76ers fans. Through Club 76, have the chance to get prioritized access to... Uh, yes, 2018-19 season tickets by choosing to be a member of either Club 76 Free, Club 76 Priority, or Club 76 Elite. Benefits escalate with each membership level, including a guaranteed option to buy playoff tickets. So for more info, head to Sixers.com slash join Club 76, or you can call 215-339-7676, 215-339-7676. Some very nice people and sales associates in the 76ers ticketing department eager to take your call. Also, for fans out there who might be looking to hang out when the team's at home if you can't get into a game at the center or when the Sixers are on the road, you can watch every game together this season at select bars throughout the city of Philadelphia. Sixers Bar Network locations guarantee home and away 76ers games as well as great Corona specials. Yeah. Visit Sixers.com slash bar network for the list of bars in the network, Corona drink specials, and featured watch party dates. There is a home game tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers. That, Katie O'Reilly, is something that we have not been able to say for some time. It's good. It is good. It feels like it's been a while. All right. Well, Katie is the chief marketing officer for the 76ers, Harris Blitzer, Sports and Entertainment. There is a lot going on tonight specifically in terms of some of the garb that the Sixers are going to be sporting. The yes. City Edition uniforms yes. are coming out. Finally. I know. It's been like, what, about five, six weeks since the unveil happened? Mm -hmm. And you've seen some sprinkles of merchandise in and around. Some yes. fans have gotten their hands on stuff. I've seen a couple at games. Gets <laughs> me very excited. Some retro 7-6 logos, parchment, paper-colored, design t-shirts and jerseys. Um, and I do want to ask specifically about how that all came to be in sure. just a second. But first, why don't we step back? This year, the league itself renews a partnership with Nike. Mm -hmm. So what does that put into play for you guys as far as yep. the four different uniforms? What was like Nike trying to accomplish with this? Yeah, you know, we're thrilled about the partnership. We're thrilled about the uniforms. I think this is a great opportunity for us to get to celebrate our heritage, do some fun things. The City Edition is like a passion project for us. Those of us who, you know, most of us have ties here. We've been working on this for like two years. It was so important for us to really make this about the city and the fans and the community. So, um, you know, I, I think it's just an awesome opportunity to get to extend our brand in so many different ways. Um, and I think Nike recognizes that, you know, we can have some fun with this and not just stick with the home and away, but really make it all about, um, you know, different extensions and activations of who we are. So it's great. I got to feel like where for a team going into a marquee matchup that's on national TV, mm -hmm. how pumped up like coaches and players must feel. For you guys to get a project like this, it's got to be pretty outstanding. Leading brand 
in the sports marketplace to now try and bring some synergies together and make this all work. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we get to debut our City Edition jerseys tonight when we're having our brotherly love night celebrating the Eagles, like this is, you, you really can't, it's like the perfect storm. We couldn't have planned this any better. Um, so we're so excited about the uniforms. I mean, again, it was like a labor of love. Every detail was researched, um, you know, ad nauseum for years. And so it was so important to us to make these just really special and to have our first, you know, city edition have that connection um, to the fans. So, you know, everything from the parchment color, we created a font that matches the Declaration of Independence, like literally created a font. Um, The logo on the shorts that um, I love, it's sort of a new, looks like an old school 7-6. We actually adapted that from the uh, Bicentennial Celebration, which I don't know if anyone's seen that logo, but it's super cool. So there was so much research that went into it. And so I think there's just so many layers you'll uncover as we start to wear the uniforms. they're, I think they're awesome. I hope everyone loves them. Um, I'm almost sad that we only get to wear them for one season, but we're already working on our city editions for the next couple of years. So, um, but it's great that we get to wear them tonight in just this total celebration of the city and brotherly love. The details, though, they're so fine, and it seems like thoroughly thought out. How do the brainstorming sessions for something like this go? Are you guys just sitting around a table spitballing, that sort of thing? Pretty much. I mean, Chris Eck, our president, myself, a lot of people have been involved in this. You know, we work with the league. We work with our partners at Nike. They're great. Um, Brian Adams, our creative director, who is a total genius, and Desron Dorsett, who oversees our merchandise. It's really the four of us who kind of sit around and come up with this, and Scott's obviously involved. Um, Again, the parchment, like we've talked about it so much, just in terms of the Declaration of Independence and making it authentic. I think probably the first time we threw out like, hey, let's let's make the uniforms actually the color of the Declaration of Independence. We might have gotten a couple stairs, but when you see it come to life, it's it's pretty awesome. And it looks great with like the tights and the whole, you know, the whole costume. It's awesome. Are there a lot of rounds of different mock-ups that go oh, yes. into something? Uh, oh, yes. Like and this? we are um, admittedly crazy. Um, and we, you know, every single detail, you know, every every extension of our brand, we are, you know, so intentional with every detail and every execution. So this was, this was definitely, like I said, a labor of love. We went through a bunch of different renditions, but we think we got it to the perfect place and that there are so many layers and elements to it that um, once it gets out there um, in stores and people can start buying it and touching and feeling it, they'll see sort of so many, they'll find just so many different gems hidden in it because really every detail is important. So there's definitely going to be a good amount of red, white, and blue and parchment in the arena yes. tonight. So it's going to be some midnight green, which uh, is pretty outstanding. This has been a terrific turn for the city and the sports culture around here. I don't know, just like even myself growing up in the area, I was trying to think. I'm not sure, and granted, know where my paycheck is cut from but I really can't think of another <laughs> example of where two teams in the same city yep. have kind of been aligned especially when they haven't been under the same ownership or management mm-hmm. umbrella I mean it's been pretty remarkable the extent to which the Sixers have seemed to embrace everything that's happening with the birds yeah I mean I mean look like for you and I like <laughs> we're like two people who grew up here having this conversation so this is like a dream come true for us I think um you know, this is, this is so fun. Like this means so much to our city. I think we understand that every team in the city, there are partners, there are brothers, literally like this is a four for four town. And so many of us who work here 
are who grew up here are four for four fans like you and I. So for us, this just means it means everything to the city. Um, and we want to be a part of that celebration and embrace it. And, you know, beyond that, we love the Eagles organization. We're, you know, from Scott and Chris and everyone down, I think we all have friends and counterparts there. So, you know, we just, I, th- I think we really get how much this means. Um, and we want to be a part of it and support them because it's, it's awesome. It's super exciting. So for us to get to do this, I mean, for all of us, it's like a, dream come true it's like we get to work for the Sixers and celebrate the Eagles like what's better than that amen so the first 10,000 fans in the building on Friday get a tremendous t-shirt mocked up and turned around real quick by Rush Order Tees the 76ers Eagles co-branded brotherly love tee that'll be given out for the game against the Miami Heat and just a whole lot of brotherly love and sisterly support from the Sixers for the Eagles throughout Friday night's game. Katie O'Reilly, Chief Marketing Officer of the 76ers, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And a big thanks to Amin Hassan for joining the podcast a little bit earlier. 76ers and the Miami Heat tonight, 8 o'clock at the Center, nationally televised game on ESPN. Be sure to check it out. The tough, challenging back-to-back concludes on Saturday with the game at Indiana. Two teams in Miami and Indy that are currently ahead of the Sixers in the Eastern Conference standings. Thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast. Enjoy following the games this weekend, and particularly the big one on Sunday. May it all go well, which then lead to hopefully a joyous next week. Talk to you.